0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first podcast episode of Pruitt Igo Stories from Within. My name is Dana Hogan, and I'm your host. Since this is the first podcast episode of this series, I'm going to start with a little background on my motivation for making the podcast. So, I'm a senior at WashU in St. Louis, and I'm studying history. I'm also a, part, a participant in a studio lab at WashU called Memory for the Future, which focuses on reparative public humanities projects here in St. Louis, which are specifically related to interlinked histories of slavery, colonialism, and genocide. In addition to studying these interlinked histories, each participant in the studio lab works on a memory-focused project over the course of the year based on their own interests. For my project, I decided to focus on pruitt Igo, which was a public housing complex in St. Louis that opened in the 1950s and was demolished in the 1970s. I first became interested in this topic when I went to visit the former site of pruitt Igo, which is at the intersection of Cass and Jefferson, for anyone familiar with St. Louis, and I accidentally drove right past the site because there was nothing marking the land. I was shocked by this silence and immediately started researching the history of Pruitt-Igoe, and to make a long story short, I developed my project around recording oral histories of former Pruitt-Igoe residents. This is where the podcast comes in. In addition to the oral histories being offered online through an ArcGIS story map, you can find a link in the description of the podcast, I'm making this podcast to offer a shorter media format of those oral histories, which I will supplement with more complete historical context that may not have come up in the oral histories. That being said... The focus of this first episode is the St. Louis tornado of 1959 and its permanent impacts on Pruitt-Igoe. I hope everybody enjoys. Since this is the first episode of this podcast series, I'm going to start with a brief history of Pruitt-Igoe to kind of situate you in St. Louis's history. So, Pruitt-Igoe, as I mentioned before, was a public housing complex, and it first opened in 1954 and was demolished from 1972 to 1976 pruitt was funded by the Housing Act of 1949, and it cost an estimated $30 million to build, making it the largest public housing project in the United States at the time. Over the course of pruitt lifetime, it was home to tens of thousands of residents, a large portion of which were families. Some former residents that I've interviewed have actually estimated that, with turnover rate and everything, pruitt could have housed up to 100,000 people during its lifetime. In the mid-1960s, maintenance at Prudigo started to slip and vacancy rates began to increase before eventually residents were asked to move out and at the end of the 60s and the first buildings were then demolished on national television in 1972. Lastly, in academic circles, much existing scholarship on Prudigo either focuses on the flawed architecture of the building or or only focuses on its decline and negative experiences there. There are very few easily accessible first-hand accounts of life at Prud' Igo, which was probably my primary motivation for recording these oral histories, because I just couldn't find, no matter how much research I did, I could not find any first-hand accounts that just talked about daily life. So through the oral histories I recorded, I was able to discover so much more about at Igo than I was ever able to find in a journal article, a book, or pretty much most academia. So that brings us to the topic of this episode, as one of those primary discoveries that shocked me the most was learning that there was a tornado in St. Louis in 1959, which I had never heard about before. So for some backstory, from February 9th to February 10th in 1959, there was a tornado outbreak in St. Louis that consisted of a total of 17 tornadoes. The strongest of these tornadoes was an EF4 level that ripped through most of downtown St. Louis, leaving a path of incredible destruction and killing 21 people and injuring over 300 others and i think it cost about 50 million dollars in total damages at the time and for those unfamiliar with tornado scales as i was before i did this research research ef5 is the highest strength on the scale um it's the most damaging tornado similar to a category 5 hurricane so the ef4 that ripped through St. Louis was just one level was just one level below this specific EF4 tornado lasted an estimated 35 minutes and caused significant destruction, destroying the roof of the St. Louis Arena and especially affecting the residential neighborhood to the west of pruitt Igo, which would now be known as Jeff Vanderloo. Also, you can find a map of the tornado's path linked in the description of this episode. So now I'm going to play an archival newsreel clip from a reporter at the St. Louis Dispatch explaining the aftermath of the tornado, so have a listen here.
1: morning light reveals the extent of disaster following a tornado which gouged across St. Louis while the city slept. 1,400 are left homeless. 21 are reported dead at first count. At least 70 more are in hospital. Homes crumbled under their occupants as the Twister struck without warning and moved at tremendous speed. In three agonizing minutes, it blew itself out. These films were taken in the hardest hit area, a mile to two miles from downtown St. Louis. Worst destruction is in crowded tenements. Thousands of structures are reported damaged to an extent of $12 million. President Eisenhower has declared the stricken city a disaster area, making it eligible for federal relief funds. The tornado followed almost the same path of one in 1927,
0: which killed 78. In the clip you just heard, the reporter explains that the worst destruction affected crowded tenements. In total, this tornado decimated almost 50 homes and significantly damaged over 1,000 more. As a result, there were almost 1,500 low-income residents without homes in this neighborhood. They needed immediate temporary relief housing, and the government decided to move them into pruitt Igo. So this is where we get to the meat of the podcast episode. I first learned about this tornado when I recorded an oral history with Michael Willis, who lived in Prude igo for a few years in the late 50s. And he mentioned the tornado, and I had to ask him about it, because it never came up in any of my research on Prude igo When he first explained it to me, we were not recording, unfortunately. However, the gist of what he said was that there was an almost biblical tornado in 1959 that was St. Louis's equivalent of Hurricane Katrina. Then... I met another pruitt resident named Ben, and I recorded his oral history. And in his recording, he offered a much more detailed opinion on the tornado. Listen to what his theory was here. In
1: 1959, there was a major tornado um, that went through St. Louis. Yeah. And it damaged um, the neighborhood immediately around pruitt especially to the west of pruitt mm-hmm. And And actually, the buildings would come together... And, you, and, and it took out one building, it took out the, some of the wall between the two, mm-hmm. the two you know, upper apartments. I don't know if, that, if, it was, if it was the internal damage, but the place up there, which is now probably called the Jeff Vanderbilt area, was so devastated that they, they had to find emergency housing mm-hmm. for the people living in those homes, and, which were Coldwater Flats also. Mm-hmm. And they moved the people into Puanaygo for emergency housing and it was yep. temporary until they could find some place for mm-hmm. the people to go live. Well, that never happened. And with that, somehow it kind of butted, up, butted against or or created some type of, of uh, uh, budget problem with maintaining the buildings. And that's when, we, around that time was when you started seeing... Uh, and I was old enough to sort of realize that something was mm-hmm. wrong because we didn't have the normal, we had, every building had at least one or two custodians assigned to it. Kind of saw us seeing less and less of that. Oh, wow. Because custodians actually doubled as, uh, probably got extra pay to run baseball teams, and softball teams, and things oh, like just kind that of general. Yeah, and, uh, and you saw us seeing less of Carl Reed and mm-hmm. Mr. Atkins and people like that because I, I, I believe what happened. They probably saw laying them off, you know, and uh, being a, a preteen or a teenager, young teenager, you know, you didn't put two and two together. Mm-hmm. When you get 25, 30 years old, then you saw seeing that's what happened, and that's when it of slipping. Wow. Okay. Uh, people try to do what they could to maintain, you know, uh, making sure that the the, the 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 skip stop areas where the elevators. with with landing, Mm -hmm. you could walk through, people trying to keep that clean, you know, and and stuff like that on their own. So that's what I'm saying it was like a a neighborhood, a community people pitched in and did that. But that's when the changes started happening.
0: So to sum up his theory, Ben explained that after the tornado ruined the neighborhood next to St. Louis, all the victims that needed emergency housing were supposedly temporarily moved into Prudiego without any applications or background checks or anything, which was all necessary for families that originally moved in in 1954. Um, and this temporary housing situation turned out to be permanent. These new residents were never moved out. As a result, this influx of residents stretched the igos budget pretty thin, and beginning in the 1960s is when residents start, started to see the maintenance begin to slip. I also asked another resident, Chester Deans, about this when I recorded his oral history. And although he didn't share the same theory as Ben, he does remember the tornado ripping through Prudiego. Listen to what he has to say. I'm not sure if you, if you, well,
1: uh, what I, your I, take on that is. You know, I don't know. Uh, my take on that is not the same as his, but okay. I do remember that tornado. It, oh. um, you could see it from my window where I flew the kites out of. <laughs> from my window where I flew, yeah, the, yeah. Flew, flew, flew the kites out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from my window where I flew the kites out of. You could see how it skipped and it went and ravaged some homes west west of us, Mm -hmm. right west of us. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that part. Yeah. That's crazy. Mm -hmm.
0: However, in the first five to six years of Pruitt-Igoe's life, many former residents remember the maintenance being perfect, as Michael explains. Talking Mm -hmm. about those early days. I, I still remember the name of one of those guys. His name was Mister Orange. He had a oh stick. My. He had a stick with a spike on it. You yeah. know, where you walk around and you poke up. a paper cup or something like uh-huh. that, and put it in a bag, you know, or um, you know, well, So he was he was a, a maintenance guy. You know, there were some we, maintenance at the beginning. there were some,
1: but then that disappeared.
0: And then Ben shared similar memories of the early days of maintenance.
1: And um, Pro and against contrary, but you know, belief was a very neat and well manicured facility mm-hmm. in 1954 when, when we it opened. When it opened, um, there were Normans, but I think they inspected the apartments twice a year, every six months or so. Uh-huh. They would also come in and, and make sure that pest control was going mm-hmm. on. There were no mice at the time, but, you know, I guess bugs, you know, stuff like that. They would come twice a year and spray. Uh, I remember my mom had to make sure that everything were out, out the shelves, uh, on the tabletops, the under, underneath uh, cabinets were open, was open. open so that they could spray thoroughly. And it worked. It worked.
0: Overall, what I found so interesting about this was that I had never read about the tornado in any academia or books on the subject of pruitt and the tornado seemed to be a pretty significant catalyst for pruitt failing maintenance. All of the oral history interviewees I met made a point to mention that maintenance and living conditions were pretty spot-on in the first few years after pruitt initially opened. It was only in the early to mid '60s that major issues started to to arise. And although the decline of Pruitt-Igoe's maintenance cannot be solely contributed to the tornado of 1959, it does seem that there is a significant shift in Pruitt-Igoe's role in St. Louis history after the tornado touched down. So here concludes episode one. If you want to learn more about the tornado of 1959 or listen to the full-length oral histories that you heard snippets of throughout this episode, you can visit our Studio Lab website at m 4 fcommunity m4 as in the number 4f.community, where you will find a page with links and information to all of the projects the participants have been working on for the past year. You can follow the link to our story map and you'll be able to explore what I've been working on for the past semester and learn a little bit more about the oral history interviewees as well. Thanks everybody for listening and I hope to see you on the next episode.